Revolutionary Talk for Revolutionary Times. Liberty Talk FM. Welcome to Medicine on Call. This is Dr. George. We're going to have a very important conversation this morning about the physician's uh, part of our healthcare system. Our healthcare system is, as we've discussed at length on various shows, I believe has gone off the rails and it's not about healthcare anymore. It's a business, it's a corporate driven business, and it's about control. And one of the things that need, need it to be controlled are the physicians. And we're one of we're the most important part of the healthcare system, just like the patient, because it won't run without us. And in order to get us in line, to make us do the bidding of the various interests that, that seek to make money on us, to um, force us to uh, practice an algorithm-driven medicine, there's been a lot of uh, uh, sticks used and, uh, I should say, techniques to force us under duress to work, in my, in my opinion, against the interests of the patient. And one of them is sham peer review. We've talked about it a, a few years back, but I wanted to have an expert on to discuss what that really means in a real fashion. What does that mean for a physician? We know that doctors are leaving the profession. There's a new article coming out that there's going to be over 100,000 uh, physician shortage um, I think by the year 2030 or something like that. And part of the reason that people are leaving the profession is because of sham peer review. Physician suicide is something that's never talked about. But imagine you are living your, your dream. You're doing the thing that makes you, that you're put on this earth to do. And someone arbitrarily takes it away from you. And yet you don't have a voice or power to fight back. Imagine how that would make you feel. And that's why I wanted Dr. Richard Wilner to come on the show today to talk about what's, what he's doing because he's not just talking about it, he's actually become a force for good to help doctors get their power back. He created the Center for Peer Review Justice. And Dr. Wilner, I wanted to thank you so much for coming on because I truly respect and admire what you're doing. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. George. I appreciate that. Um, the most important thing to teach the audience, the most important thing, is the Healthcare Quality Improvement Act of 1986. This is a federal law. And what does it say? It says that it takes away the substantive or the factual uh, due process rights from physicians. And physicians are stated as MDs, DOs, BPMs, and DDSs. So it takes away what we consider to be due process rights from this group. And what remains is the other part of due process or procedural due process. It remains, it, 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 uh, it, it, it keeps you from, it, it allows the, the, the fair hearing. Mm -hmm. But it's before the same people who did this to you. The most important thing. Now, one can say, how is that possible? We live in America. Everyone has due process. Everyone has constitutional rights. Everyone has everything. And I, and I say to you, not true. The Congress did it in 86, and it remains, and it's not taught in the residency programs. It's not taught anywhere. It's a big secret. How did it get to this point? I mean, I'm, it's it's like a private <laughs> a system that's being run, you know, judge, jury, executioner style by something, it seems to me, that has no oversight. Who's policing yes. this police then? Yes, uh, this is absolutely true. What I think happened at about that, this time, if you remember, well, I'm probably older than you are, uh, if, if one remembers what happened at about that time, that was the time that the, the, the big hospitals, the national medical enterprises uh, and other groups at that time found out that hospitals were making money mm -hmm. and they decided to buy up hospitals. 
And by buying up hospitals, they can control the hospital if they could get rid of the doctors, or at least the ones who were, quote, disruptive. So that bill was pushed through. Now, I don't expect people to believe me, because this is frankly very hard to believe that this happens in America. On my first case, it took me 18 months to figure this out, something that I just spoke about in 18 seconds. But it's absolutely true. And this is something that I've been working with. This is now my 18th year working at it with a single focus. So you're saying basically that there seems to be a consortium of hospitals. Is it hospital administrators? I mean, is it a is the government involved with this at all in the sense that there's well, I know the antitrust doesn't doesn't really apply to anybody but us, apparently, as physicians. Exactly. <laughs> and antitrust that, does not apply to us. And by the way, it's not from the position of the doctor. It's from the position of the patient. Explain. We all think antitrust in our in our personal dealings with one another comes from our position. But no, it's from the position of the patient. Explain that to me. That I want people to understand that. Flesh it out, because that's a huge statement that you just made, and it's about right. power. Right. Through the years, I have seen uh, surgeons, primarily it's surgeons and their counsel, uh, use allegations of antitrust mm -hmm. in trying to win against Champagne Review. And in a word, it doesn't work. Period. I mean, I don't have to be, I am not a lawyer, but you don't have to be a lawyer to be able to observe and read and think, and it just doesn't work. Another thing that doesn't work is using the, uh, the, the American uh, Disabilities Act. Doesn't work. You see people using that um, allegation someone is disabled for one reason or another, either primarily mental, mm -hmm. um, OCD, something, bipolar, doesn't work. It's not a way of getting results in the court. Um, you see, labor law doesn't work. Now, why doesn't labor law work? Uh, a doctor is an employed by a group, is employed by a hospital, and he, he, he or she goes to a labor lawyer, mm -hmm. hires a labor lawyer. The labor lawyer will be perhaps the only one who will take it on contingency. And then years pass, and it doesn't work. He loses. And why? Because peer review is higher law than labor law. Are you kidding? And the other side obviously uh, uh, talks about peer review. Uh -huh. And then the doctor loses. But the doctor loses more than just a court case. He loses his career. It is, a, it, it is, it is uh, incredibly corrosive and over an imaginary problem or no problem. Now, the question to ask is, what do most of these cases have in common? In my opinion, after thinking about it for hundreds of hours, the thing that these cases have in common, I would say 95 out of 100, is the doctor is the subject of irrational hate. Mm -hmm. Someone or, or a few people hate him or her. I mean really hate somebody. Not just a little bit, but a lot. And that seems to be what's in common. You do have economics in common. You do have, um, if there's five radiologists uh, in the group, uh, three of them hired two more, they expected to grow, and suddenly they lost the contract and they have to get rid of two of them. What they will do is, is use the sham peer review process with all the protections. Did I say the hospital gets full immunity if they use this process? No, no, you didn't say the that. The hospital gets full immunity, not qualified immunity. You know, the lawyers can argue over what kind of immunity it is. 
but as a non-lawyer and as a pragmatist, let me tell you, they have immunity. So uh, the quickest way of getting rid of somebody because of a problem, a contract problem, they overstaffed, is to find, in the case of a radiologist, find a bad read, uh, suspend him or her, let 30 days pass, he's data banked, and, you know, that's it. His life is ruined. Now, um, data banking, has anyone talked about data banking on your show? Not in detail, not yet, no. All right. The National Practitioner Data Bank, it's a central depository. It's a library. It's a data bank. Uh, it started in roughly 86, actually in the years follow. And, it, and it, initially it was supposed to list medical malpractice problems and serious problems, such as fraud. Mm-hmm. But as time passed, it creeped up and creeped up to, uh, to, to even include, quote, disruption. And what is disruption? There are uh, lots of definitions. The Joint Commission has various definitions. The AMA does. Let me tell you about Richard Wilner's definition, which I think is the best one of all. And that is, whatever the the, um, the the chief, either the CEO, the chief of, of your department, whatever they say is disruption, is in fact disruption. It's simple as that. It could now, it could be, at one time, when I was a resident, we had a neurosurgeon who threw a scalpel, literally uh, uh, through the OR and it hit the other wall. Mm. And everybody was shocked, at least I was, because I've never seen it before. That initially would be called disruption. But how it developed through the years, now if you have a raised eyebrow, if you disagree with, with the administration, if they don't like you for whatever reason, if you if you have a nurse who really made a mistake and the male surgeon leans over and talks to her and, and, and educates her about her mistake, what she will do is call up the call up her superior and say, I, I, I felt uncomfortable with Dr. X. And then Dr. X gets into trouble. So that is disruption. It is the quickest way of losing your license is to be called disruptive. So it's subjective and it's arbitrary. And, you know, let's take a break. By definition. Uh, by definitely. definition, it's arbitrary. It's no longer what I saw, which is the neurosurgeon literally throwing the scalpel across the room. He was frustrated, and he threw the scalpel. Well, I mean, that today would be, you know, absolutely not tolerated. No, but everybody's feelings are, you know, everybody's a snowflake about everything. And it's also power. If you do make a mistake, if you're able to superimpose that or deflect it in some way, you have carte blanche to blame the doctor for it. Now, I know we got to, I want you to go into this couple of things in more detail, but we have to take a break and come back. You're listening to Medicine on Call. Welcome back to Medicine on Call. Today we're speaking with Dr. Richard Wilner, the uh, innovator of uh, the uh, sham peer review uh, organization to help doctors fight against this victim victimization that we're under. And before the break, you were really going into excellent detail, but I want to backtrack just a little bit. You know, we talked about monopolies and antitrust. What about restriction of trade? I mean, as any any entity in this country who has a business is allowed to to pursue their 
the goal of their business. This is restriction of trade. Can that be used as an argument to try to fight against this? No. <laughs> gotcha. Simple as that. Very short answer. No. There's various numbers of, uh, of, uh, of defense that has been used. And the answer to all of this is no. I mean, it is to the point that through the years, and again, I've been at this for 18 years, I'm 65 years old now, uh, that I have seen everything. And I still see everything in terms of litigation. Um, I have a, uh, a couple of young people, that is people, guys in their first year out of residency or fellowship, mm -hmm. they get into trouble. And what do they do? They will litigate. Uh, they don't know any better, even though there, there are examples of, of literally thousands of cases you can Google Shampoo Review, see thousands of cases that did not turn out. But somehow, someone will litigate and think that his case will be different. Well, in reality, there's nothing wrong with the person. He did nothing wrong. And he thinks, and his, his advisors will tell him, litigate, sue, you'll make millions of dollars. And then what happens as time passes is they're out of work, they're not working anywhere, um, their skills are getting rusty, uh, other places will not credential you because time has passed, you're losing a career, you're banking on, uh, on, on uh, getting satisfaction through the legal system, and it's not going to work. Enough, there is enough precedent uh, it's just not going to work, even though intuitively you think it will. Mm -hmm. Well, look at the statute and look at the case law. More importantly, the case law, all of the cases that have come before you that have been negative. Once in a while you find someone who has won. Mm -hmm. Big deal. It's, it's, it's like winning the lottery. You can't run your life on, on, on hoping for the lottery. So, in my opinion, you have to go with things that do work. Things that have worked in the past and that do work. And uh, we specialize in, in taking people who have been data banked and having them move on. I don't think that if you're data banked, that's the end of the world. I think that ideally, if we can come on early enough before the data banking, that we can help shape the data banking in such a way that you can move on, that, that, that you can be credentialed in the future and move on. So that's what I try to do. Well, can I ask you about the, the peer review process? Does it only, does it, is it only applied to physicians who are either on staff as an employee of a hospital or does it also apply to doctors who are independent but have privileges at a hospital? So they, you know, they're courtesy, it, they don't show up very often. Does that happen to them too? It applies to everybody. In, in preparing for this, I found something very interesting and I'm going to go and walk to it to find it. This shows you how there is the government creep. You know that when it comes to HIPAA, when HIPAA first started, it was really a good idea. There should be privacy. We should not be on the elevator and talking about Mrs. Apple when people who know her are on the elevator. So privacy is really a good idea. But over the decades, HIPAA has become crazy where uh, Texas HIPAA has a... Um, has a, a fine of a million and a half dollars for certain things. Mm -hmm. uh, there's, there's creep, it gets harder and harder. The, um, the, the National Practitioner Data Bank recently was changed. The, the sections 401 through 432 of the, of the Healthcare Quality Improvement Act uh, was modified. And then you have modifications of Section 1921 of the Social Security Act, 
as amended by Section 5B of Medicare and Medicaid Patient and Program Protection Act. And then you have medications of OBRA, for example, and all of these other laws have paragraphs or pages in it that modify previous laws to improve them, to make them harder, to get rid of loopholes, whatever. It keeps, once there is a federal law, it keeps our, it, it will metastasize mm -hmm. and get harder and harder. There'll be less loopholes and it's just hard. Now, when it comes to the data bank, it now affects more than the four doctors. It affects nurses. It affects virtually everybody on the healthcare team. I get two cases of people who were marriage counselors. When I first saw it, I thought, what? Marriage counselor <laughs> is data banked? <laughs> On what I grounds? couldn't believe it. How'd they do it? What was the problem? What was the problem? Yeah. There was virtually no problem. The problem is, the problem is one of a few. Number one, if someone knows how to data bank, if they're used to it, they will data bank. Some some organizations think that unless they they will data bank, they will be fined, or they will be excluded from the protections of the data bank. Whatever, I don't think that's true. You also have the element of people who are just plain mean. You can data bank somebody. By the way, a little known fact: you do not need any evidence to data bank a doctor. So Think about that. Let me say it, it again. That's crazy. Yes. Please. You do not need any evidence to data bank a doctor. In other words, you can ruin a doctor's career with no evidence. <laughs> Think about that. It's the only thing in society that I know of that anything that's like that. Total immunity. This is such an unlevel playing field. It's not even what? funny. I mean, the, this playing field. Why would any physician want to play on this playing field? I mean, how many doctors have you? I mean, you've, you're seeing the hardest cases, I know. But is there any any numbers that you can give us on doctors that are that literally don't even come to you, just don't play the game, just leave after the first uh, episode of being harassed like this? I see a small fraction of the entire universe of doctors who have problems like this. Let's say doctors who are suspended. I will see a small, small sliver. I mean, they have to find, they either have to know me or they have to go to peerreviewjustice.org or something. But I get a small sliver. What they do is they see their, their buddies who they went to college with, who are lawyers. Um, uh, a lawyer will look at this and not know the specific laws and will take it on thinking, well, this is obvious. The doctor did nothing wrong. And the doctor got suspended and whatever. Uh, another trick that the hospital does is uh, they hire external reviewers who will flat out lie. They will flat out lie. They will just not tell the truth. Uh, and that way the, the hospital has cover. Now there are organizations that are that are known to the hospital, they're known to us, that will do that. And for a, a certain dollar amount, you get a reviewer who will simply not tell the truth. Now, another fact is virtually every surgeon I have had over 18 years has never been sued. But they Think end up about that. But they end up in peer review when they've never had, they have a clean They have history. never been sued in their lives. Never, never been sued. So if you look at, if you use 
the idea that uh, someone who is sued, there is a question as to whether or not they're good. Let's say they have three lawsuits, five lawsuits. There's a question of whether or not they're good. Mm -hmm. I can understand that. Some professions get sued very commonly. The OBs get sued very commonly. Mm -hmm. Okay? And then when, when you have a good reviewer review it, and they say there's nothing wrong. The woman, the doctor, did exactly what she's supposed to do. Uh, but the reviewer says differently. Well, the, the hospital knew exactly who to choose. And you know what? If the reviewer did not give a good review, they'll get a second reviewer who will give, uh, a, 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 I try to say, a bad review. The, the, the review that they're paid to give. So they can shop around, essentially. They will shop for the bad review. Yeah. This is so I sick. mean, there is, uh, there is something wrong here. Mm-hmm. There is something wrong. And then we talk about doctors getting, quote, burnout. And God forbid, uh, severe depression and worse. Well, we talk about that and we, well, we wonder about it. What, what I see in terms of uh, suicide, I see people not who, who are overworked or who, who are spending too many hours and documenting every day, or they come home and they put Susie and Johnny to bed and they document. No, when I see people who are facing catastrophic loss, they're facing the loss of their uh, of their surgical privileges, and then afterwards they, they will be investigated by the board. The board is going to discipline them if she has four or five board uh, states that she's licensed in, she's going to be investigated by every state. She has to hire an attorney for every state. That becomes unbelievably expensive. And they face catastrophic loss. They get severely depressed. You add some impulsivity to this, and you've got, you've got a potential catastrophe. Wow. On that note, let's, so, take, let's take a break and, and come back, because that just let, let sink in for our listeners. Um, we're listening to Medicine on Call. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare. But for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call, and I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose. And with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. Revolutionary Talk for Revolutionary Times. Liberty Talk Back to Medicine on Call. We're speaking with Dr. Richard Wilner of, of the Center for Peer Review Justice. And I wanted our listeners to know that you actually have a hotline that doctors can call to plead their case and to actually get your help. And it's 504-621-1670. And one of the things I wanted to discuss further is this, the power of the hospital. I personally have had a not a run-in, but I saw the writing on the wall with the hospital that I was working at, and I said, I'm not going to do this because my license is too important. And they're now starting these hospital consortiums where they have a call center, and there's a const there's a one catchment area where other hospitals can call to get their patients admitted and transferred in. But in this particular hospital, the call center had ultimate power. 
So they would be able to tell the patient to come or tell the, the hospital to send the patient to the emergency room and then they would contact the doctor on call to come and see the patient. And if it's outside your scope of practice, for me it was a pediatric frontal sinus abscess, which I'm not a pediatric ENT, I'm not a neurosurgeon, that is outside of my scope of practice, and I took, I took issue with that because had that patient come and I had to see the patient and it was under my care and something bad happened, it was all gonna land on me. And I'm sure they would have said, well, why'd you take care of the patient? Because I was forced to, it's not an answer, is it? Dr. George, you are explaining just one problem that doctors and surgeons face every day. That, are, that is just, you know, you have, you have administration that is managing and micromanaging us, uh, and they don't care about what is right and what is wrong. Um, we are, this is the business of medicine. However, we have a license. We are the ones treating patients. Now, I wrote a piece called Third Party Liability Transfer. It is at peerreviewjustice.org. Third party liability transfer is exactly what it says. They put the liability on you. If something goes right, fine, no problem. Mm -hmm. If something should go wrong, Dr. George, it's your license, it's your career on the line. And there's just, there's something wrong about this. Mm There is just something wrong about this. Uh, we have three bosses. We have, obviously, we have uh, the patient is the boss. We have uh, the administrator who signs the front of the check is the boss. Um, we have the, uh, the insurance company is the boss. Um, if you code incorrectly, if you use the stupid modifiers incorrectly there is a there is an excellent chance of very high fines and possibly losing your your liberty not even if you do the coding but if a third party does the coding you're not aware of who she is she makes errors chronic errors you're responsible for it you don't even know who it is. You can't even ask your administrator if you can spot check your work because the doctor is afraid to do that. But it is, it's our liability. Um, can I ask you a quick question on that? Yeah. On, on the insurance company, because this is always, I wanted to know what your opinion is on this particular example. If an insurance company, you you deem something needs to be done surgically, the insurance company denies it because it's not medically necessary or not covered, the patient doesn't have the procedure for whatever reason and has a bad outcome, who's liable for that? Is it the doctor or the insurance company? The doctor's always liable. That's crazy. Always. The insurance company is never liable. The insurance company is the one that has to pre-approve any procedure. Mm-hmm. You know, if it's done in the office, if it's done in the hospital, even if it's for a small amount of money, your staff and many times the doctor has to get on the phone and to discuss uh, the details of the case and why it has to be done. But if, if not even if something goes wrong, but if the patient's says there's something wrong for secondary gain. The doctor is always responsible. If a nurse is involved with the care or, or some sort of allied healthcare professional and they're under the auspices of that doctor, if they have a bad outcome, are they on the hook for anything because they're the front line of that care or does that also fall back on the doctor? In my opinion, purely my opinion, Uh, the doctor will be, if there's a lawsuit, the doctor's name will always be on the lawsuit. Mm -hmm. 
always. And then it's up to the attorneys. It's up to, you know, the, you, know you, you will go through the process, uh, the interrogatories and whatever. Um, even if the doctor, the doctor is dropped from the lawsuit, she is still, she still has to report it to the state board. Right. Okay. Uh, she's still penalized. Um, you know, you see this in the hospital where something goes bad and, and uh, um, the attorney uh, tags every name that's on the sheet. Every name that's on the chart will get tagged for it. You know, and then and then uh, the, the doctors have to, uh, you know, r- remove themselves. But it's on but, them to know, remove. If them. you're saying, if you're saying, is this fair? There is virtually nothing fair about being a physician and surgeon today. Just nothing. You know, we're not even discussing the other problems. Um, there's a website called warondoctors.org. It, 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 it's a brief discussion on the risks that doctors face. Um, the, the risks are incredible. Everywhere you go, you have a risk. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're not even talking about the risk of, of complying with OSHA or complying with, um, um, with HIPAA. Hip in the various facets of HIPAA. We always think about HIPAA as just being um, um, privacy, but there's HIPAA technical, HIPAA administrative. There are an enormous number of regulations regarding HIPAA. Remember, I said earlier that uh, these federal laws start small yeah. and okay and pretty good, but then as time passes, they get bigger and bigger and bigger that's what happened with HIPAA today people are afraid to even transmit information to another doctor doctor to doctor they're afraid to do it because of HIPAA well let me stop you for a second and ask you a a real world question on that because this what you just described is actually pretty chilling so let's say you send a Electron, your electronic medical record system carrier is hacked and your information on your patient is on the cloud, who gets dinged for that? Is it the... the you. It's not the EHR Let company? Let me tell you something. <laughs> Let me tell you something about, quote, on the cloud. It's real sexy. It's real, uh, you know, nice to, you know, to, to say... Data is is a commodity, like all other commodities. It will go to the cheapest place that will house it. Uh, If it goes to India, for example, if there is a problem there in India, um, it does not fall under American laws. It follows under Indian laws. It can take 20 years to go to court to resolve it. Well, in 20 years, I'll be dead. But still, I'll be nailed, I'll be dinged for that HIPAA violation. The problem with, with the cloud is where exactly is the data? Mm-hmm. How is it managed? I rather have control over my own data. I know I'm going to, contr- I'm going to manage it well. It'll be encrypted, it will be managed well. Okay, I cannot trust other people. But they don't give you so, that option, though. When you sign on for an EA, to an EHR company, they don't give you the option of having a server in your office to keep your data locked. That is true. It's only a cloud. And at Practice Fusion, for example, mm-hmm. you don't have the, 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 the choice of having the data in your own system. And I do not believe that you can get a copy of the data Period. What I know that my friends do is, with after every patient, they will print out the data, so they have a paper backup in that way. But still, it's not it's not digital data. Right. Um, and now, uh, as I understand it, Practice Fusion was purchased by a group, and um, I don't know what changes are going to come. 
but still, if you are a locums person and you go to work for somebody, you have to use their electronic health record. No. You don't know where that data is. You don't. But in general, there's no other way around it. <laughs> you have to use their data. You have to trust them. If you see after you get the, the, the job and you're there for a while and you see problems and if you're uncomfortable, leave. Before you leave, you talk to a healthcare lawyer, by the way. You make sure you're not resigning under investigation. You never just leave, give a two-week notice and leave. Right. You must make sure you're not resigning under investigation. That is very important. If you resign and then you get a letter that you were under investigation, you're finished. Don't do it. There's something that's preventable. That's one of the secrets of my business, is uh, prevention and, um, uh, and winning. If you get into a problem like this at the Shampier Review, you've got to survive it. There really is no two other ways. You've got to survive it. You're not going to survive it with a lawyer. I'll tell you why. A lawyer can only talk to a lawyer. Mm-hmm. It's like a divorce. Uh, where two people get divorced, they have lawyers, and it quickly escalates into a shouting match and very expensive. I'm not a lawyer. I can talk to anybody. And my job is to is to find the solution out. Now, of course, I use legal counsel, but I keep them on a leash. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I keep them, you know, we... We use lawyers as little as we can. We don't want to mess up. We don't want to uh, to make things even worse than what they are. But the, the whole idea is we want to solve the problem. But whatever the problem is, we want to solve it, not make it worse. The goal is for the doctor to continue to get back into the OR. That is the goal. Well, Dr. Wilner, let's let's take a small break because I want you to walk me through as if I called you. What what exactly would you tell me, and how will we solve the problem so that I can get my my life back? On that note, let's take a small break. You're listening to Medicine on Call. Welcome back to Medicine on Call. We're speaking to Dr. Richard Wilner of the Center for Peer Review Justice. And in the last 10 minutes or so, seven minutes or so that we have, Dr. Wilner, give, give me a, a flavor for what it would feel like if I were to call you and say, hey, I've got a problem, someone's come after me at my hospital. What's the thing that you do that makes you so uh, successful at what you do? What would you tell me? How would we handle this? The first thing I do is talk and listen. We have very, very long phone calls, and there's a reason. I'm not looking for another pen pal. I'm not looking for another friend. What I'm doing is I am trying to evaluate the person's emotional state. I'm trying to evaluate how depressed he or she is, how impulsive they are, I want to know if there's guns in the house. These are the first things I want to know. Uh, No one is going to tell me, Rich, I'm going to kill myself. I'm going to call, I'm going to kill myself after, after the phone call today. No one is going to tell me that. But this is something that as time passes, people will self-disclose their emotional state. That's perhaps the most important thing. Uh, I'm not on the clock. They're not on the clock. And uh, and that's what I'm I'm trying to to find out. Mm. Now, I want you to know, well, where are we in the cycle of the problem? Did we just begin the problem? Are we, is, is the person already suspended? Then we have 29 days. Or in the case of California, we have 14 days. I want to know if someone licensed 
in in New York, or or have they have they been licensed in New York? Was the residency in New York? Why is that important? Yeah. Because the the New York board will discipline everybody who's been disciplined by another state. It doesn't matter if the license has expired 30 years ago. They will, when they find out, they will discipline the person also. They will data bank also in discipline. Wow. Very, very unfair. Absolutely. If a person, if a, what? I, that's absolutely unfair. Right, if, if a person, you know, if a person will never, hasn't been in New York for 30 years, doesn't have a license, the odds are strongly she's not going to practice in New York. She did her residency there. She's out. She's now in Kansas. She's in California, wherever. She's not coming back. New York State has no right to discipline, to make it even harder or worse. You know, unless they know better, they, they will hire an, a lawyer and go through uh, the, the, the dog and pony show with the board in New York. And... and it costs a lot of money. Unnecessary. I mean, there's just so many facts I have to figure out. Uh, is it a is it a surgical person? Is it a non-surgical person? Uh, is it someone who uses a procedure room at the hospital? Um, all of these are very important. If it's a non-surgical person, someone who's a family doctor, internal medicine, who comes in for uh, certain patients and gets uh, disciplined and gets uh, suspended, that's a whole other problem than, than, than somebody who is a surgeon, let's say, who's employed. I want to know questions about um, uh, the employment. Who employs you? Mm-hmm. You know, usually it's uh, ABC, uh, ABC Medical. Well, who owns ABC Medical? Generally speaking, it's the hospital. What is going on? What don't I know? What don't I always want wonder? What don't I know? I respect the opponent. The opponent did something. Takes a lot of guts to suspend the doctor, to to have to walk that doctor out with security. Takes a lot of guts to do that, and they know the doctor ultimately will probably sue, so they have to put away you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars or five hundred thousand dollars for the litigation. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of questions that I that I wonder and I, I spend time and I go through each one of these questions and more. I mean, in medicine it's what, eighty percent history? Ninety yeah. percent history? Today with our fifteen minute or ten minute office visit, it's like two percent history. And it's like 2% physical exam, and the rest of the time we spent documenting. But you've got to spend the time to listen and to figure out what exactly is the problem. And then when he or she tells you what the problem is, it's rarely the problem. I always ask for documents. And they always say to me, uh, what do you want? What documents do you want? And I always reply the same thing. Everything. Send me everything. Excuse me. Let me decide what I need. Send me everything. Because I don't know where the secret is. I don't know what I'm going to find. Again, how they report it is generally not the problem. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. For example, well, I can tell you a lot of examples. I've got hundreds of, of examples I can tell you about cases we have handled. Um, I mean, you can check our testimonials at peerreviewjustice.org and at peerreview.org. Peerreview.org is 18 years old, and we decided that that legacy website needs a facelift. We need to change it. So it's at peerreviewjustice.org. It'll take us some time uh, to uh, to finish it. But the most important thing, what, what I really enjoy are our testimonials. I really treasure them because each one represents a hard-fought battle. And I am maybe 
the most persistent fellow I know. <laughs> I just don't let go. To me, a no from a hospital is just the starting point. Or a no from anywhere is just the starting point. It's just my nature. I just, I am so dedicated to what I do. I am so positive in the fact that what I'm doing is right. It's the righteous thing to do. That I just don't give up. So uh, one way or another, we have to figure out a way to get a surgeon or a medical doctor back at work again. Mm -hmm. well, Dr. Will, we have, there is a, we have one There is left. a, uh, I saw on the forums, uh, a, a certain doctor wrote publicly, what's the difference between Richard Wilner and a Rottweiler? And he wrote, eventually the Rottweiler gives up. <laughs> <laughs> I laughed, I laughed when I saw it, and I thought, wow, this guy has bailed me. Yeah, on that yes, note. it takes that amount of persistence. I believe you, and I really appreciate what you do. And if I, God forbid, ever have a problem, you'll be the first one that I would call. Now, we have Thank half you. a second left. Once again, tell us how people can get in touch with you. Well, it's peer review, P-E-E-R-R-E-V-I-E-W, justice.org, 504 621-1670. My name is spelled with two L's, W-I-L-L-N-E-R, Richard Wilner. Dr. Wilner. And I'm happy, I'm happy to take the phone call. Well, I really, really appreciate you coming on the show today. I want to have you back so that we can talk about actual cases and give examples, because I think that would be really enlightening for our listeners. I would love to, and I think that it will curl your toes <laughs> to hear actual cases and how we solve them. Well, let's make a plan to do that, because I really want to know those as well. So one, thank once you, again, thank you so much for coming on, and I look forward to having you on again. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Medicine on Call. Revolutionary Talk for Revolutionary Times. Liberty Talk FM.